Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Real life. Hey, wait a minute. What's the name of your church? Real life Christian church. Real life. Get real with another edition of Think About It. Real life messages from Pastor Dennis Rasper from Real Life Christian Church. And now, let's listen to the message from Pastor Rasper. And this is a series of messages called What Matters. So let's um, look at the next thing that matters in part two today, and that's family. Now, how do I know that that should be priority number two? Because I look at the Word of God. Again, I'm drawing this all out of the Word of God. I look at the Ten Commandments. Okay, Commandments 1 through 4 deal with love toward God. 1, 2, 3, and 4, all love toward God. Priority one, right? Commandments 5 through 10 all deal with love toward our neighbor. And the first of those commandments is Commandment 5, which says what? Honor your father and your mother... And there's a promise with that, that you may live long in the land. And that's family, man. And so the very first commandment that deals with love for our neighbor is a family commandment. And I look at Colossians chapter 3 and verse 18, and here you have a micro view of family. Colossians 3, beginning in verse 18. Wives, first of all, submit to your husbands. Oh, you love that. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting as in, in the Lord. Then husbands... Love your wives and do not be harsh with them. And then children, obey your parents in everything. I like this, for this pleases the Lord. That doesn't give any reason. Obey your, obey your parents in everything because that pleases God. And then, and then verse 21, fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Kind of a mini view of family. See, all of our godly training begins in the family, in the home. Church, you know, churches, schools, and other institutions should only supplement the family because God's plan is that you learn and you grow first and foremost in the family. And with that in mind, you just, have to, um, you just have to look at what Satan attacks, how Satan attacks the family. I mean, if the family weren't important, would he level? I mean, all the stuff he's leveling at the family, see? See, family isn't just, I mean, Satan will tell you this, or devils will tell you this, that family isn't just mom and dad and kids. It's um, two lesbians who want the right to marry and to adopt kids. And so the kids say, that's my mom and that's my mom and there's no dad. See what the devil is trying to do. He's trying to turn God's plan upside down and destroy our culture. And there's a lot of people who buy into that, and they say, well, that, that's an okay lifestyle. It doesn't happen to be mine, but it's okay. And he has people believing that abortions are a woman's choice. The risk of pregnancy should not inhibit your sexual freedom. That's the lie. Family should be planned, and so if you have sex and have an accident then get rid of it, and the culture is buying into that too. These are all devil's attacks. He has people believing that divorce is legitimate because he doesn't meet my needs. Now think about that. There are so many people out there who think divorce is legitimate because he, he doesn't meet my needs. That, that is nowhere in the Bible, folks, I'll tell you. And the bigger lie is this, it's all about me. Make me feel good, and I'll think about making you feel good. You make me feel good, and I'll think about making you feel good, okay? I mean, it's just one sustained attack after another. And say, say, why? Because Satan knows how important family is. And folks, that should send a message to us, that family is a high priority with God, and we need to devote ourselves to it. We need to invest ourselves in it. And there's lots of examples of godly families in scriptures, but I want to show you a dysfunctional family, and that's the family of Jesus Christ, a dysfunctional family. Because in Luke chapter 2, and most of you know this story, 
Jesus, Mary, and Joseph went to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and they traveled in caravans, their families, groups of people, families, relatives, all traveled together, and now they're heading back home, and Mary and Joseph assume, they assume Jesus is with them, with the aunts, the uncles, the relatives, the family, and when they discover he's not there, I mean, they don't even ask the question, is Jesus with us? That, that, that's, hard, that, that's, hard to, that's really hard for me to understand. Anyway, when they discover he's not there, they, they go back to Jerusalem frantically, and, and you remember that story. They find him in the temple. It's got a good bottom line to that story in, in, in Luke 2.51. Then he went to Nazareth with them, or down to Nazareth with them, and was obedient to them, and his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And then Jesus grew. This is all we know about his early years. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God in men. And not all his brothers were godly men. Now I'm going to John chapter 7. I think they were religious, but that's about it. Because Jesus had begun his public ministry, he was preaching and teaching and just demonstrating amazing understanding of Scripture, healing people. And his very jealous brothers say in John chapter 7, verse 3, look at this. Jesus' brothers said to him, you ought to leave here and go down to Judea to the festival so that your followers may see the miracles you do. Look at this. No one who wants to become a public figure. Boy, they're, they're, they're judging his motives. No one who wants to become a public figure acts in secret. And since you're doing all these things, go show yourself to the world. For even his brothers did not believe in him. I mean, these guys are saying, hey, dude, go down to Jerusalem, go to the festival, I think it was the festival of Pentecost, and show off a little bit, do a few tricks. I mean, man, that reeks with envy. Do you see the dysfunction in this family? Now look at verse 7, and Jesus addresses that issue of going down to the feast and showing off. He says in verse 7 of John chapter 7, the world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify that what it does is evil. You go to the feast. You, you know what he just said? I'm going to live the word of God, and people will hate me for it. You guys go down to the festival because you're not going to live the word of God. You fit right in with the world. And he said what his brothers needed to hear. But you know what? He did it in love. And one thing that tells me the Bible is all truth is this, because the word of God shows believers, even Mary and Joseph and family, not Jesus, Mary, Joseph, and the rest of them. It shows believers to be sinners. And the Holy Spirit doesn't gloss over sin. I mean, Mary and Joseph left their home, left without their kid. I mean, his brothers didn't, his brothers didn't pick up on the fact that, 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 that Jesus was the promised Messiah, and they blended right in with the world. The Bible's honest, but you got to know this. The brothers ultimately came to faith. James drew such respect. His brother James drew such respect. He became, he became the head of the whole Christian church on earth at that time. His brother Jude wrote a book of the Bible. See, this was a family of sinners, all except Jesus, but they sought forgiveness for their sins, and the Father in heaven forgave them and gave them the grace to conform to his will. And that's all Christian families, man. We're all dysfunctional to a degree. We're all sinners. We all go to God for grace. He forgives us and gives us the grace to, 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 to be what we need to be. The story from Scripture tells me they were a godly family who sinned and had the same dysfunctions as a lot of families do today. So as you deal with um, where do I invest myself, family has to be the highest priority next to God himself because the family, by God's design, is where we learn and where we grow. And devils want to thwart that. And when you commit yourself to being a godly family and, you're, and you want to make your family a biblical family, Satan's going to come at you with everything he has. 
It's in the family. Now, I'm going to show you four things, just four, that we learn in family, I think, that are very precious. I mean, they're, 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 we learn, you know, it's God's plan that we learn everything beginning in the family. But I just want to pick out four. It's in the family, first of all, that we learn to care. We all need to know that there is someone who really and truly cares about me and doesn't just say, oh, I'm sorry to hear that. They really and truly care. And I look at Galatians chapter 6. In Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, the Spirit of God inspired Paul to write, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. See, what Paul is saying here, he tells us to bear each other's burdens, and if anybody thinks he or she is too good for that, they need to come down about 14 notches. And where do we learn to care? That's in the family. See, the option is you can care only about yourself and be a slug. That's the option. You got to care. It starts in the family, see? Our grandkids come over, and one of them has a cold. What do you do? You hug them and say, oh, poor you. And you put them on the couch, and you put a blanket over them, and you put their favorite DVD in, and you just make a big deal out of them. And if you can't listen, if you don't learn that inside the home first, how are you ever going to do it outside the home, see? People who care are precious, and they send a message. And the message is this, folks. You are really, when you really care, man, people pick up on that in a heartbeat. And, and you send the message that, that you are really an authentic Christian. I'll tell you something. People are looking today for authenticity. They want to see authentic Christians. They don't want to see, they, they, they don't want to hear phony, pious platitudes. Oh, I'm sorry to hear that, and you walk away. I mean, you want something so precious. I look at this word of God, man, and I, this is what I strive for. This in Mark chapter 7, they bring a, a guy who is deaf and can't speak to Jesus. And this is verse 33. And after he took him aside, away from the crowd, Jesus put his fingers into the man's ears, the theology of touch. I love this. He put his fingers in the man's ear, the theology of touch, and then he spit and touched, there it is again, the man's tongue and then he looked up to heaven, and with a deep sigh, now that's what grabs me, with a deep sigh, he said, Ephatha, an Aramaic word which means be opened. And that grabs me because he sighed deeply, in some translations even say Jesus groaned. He groaned at this man's condition. And folks, I'm not there yet where I sigh or groan over what people are going through See, I, I really like to be that sensitive. I would like to be that sensitive. And I think I'm moving in that direction. But that sensitivity begins in your family with the people you interact with all the time. If you're not sensitive there, you're not going to be sensitive outside the family. I mean, you've got to learn to put your schedule on hold. You sit, you listen, you offer encouragement, you help them deal with it, you help them fix it with the resources you have. You rejoice with them. They do something really neat, and you say, hey, let's go out and have dinner or do something special. Let's celebrate together, see? Because you care. I mean, to make one person feel that special, I want to tell you something, that's monumental. And most people don't need to feel special to a bunch of people. If they're special to even one person, one person, that's all they need. Do you know how important that makes them feel? Changes their attitude toward life. One person cares about me. One person, that's all they need. And that is birthed in the family. Caring, sensitive people are birthed in the family. And when you make family a priority and invest yourself in it, um, boy, I tell you, it's going to shine through. Well, let me ask this. Do people care about you? You see, you reap what you sow. 
You do. I mean, if, if they don't care about you, then you got to look back at yourself. You know, people say, I don't, well, you don't care. Nobody cares. Well, you, you reap what you sow, man. You got to look back and say, do I care about you? Am I sensitive to you? Well, the next thing we look at is we ask what matters, family matters. It's in the family that we learn true love. Again, it's in the family that we learn true love. And I guess I think that, yeah, it is. It's our memory passage for today. We have a memory passage every week. And this is in John, John 13. And this is verse 35. Jesus says, by this, by what? By this, all men will know that you are my disciples or followers if you love one another. So, love is the, the mark that defines you as belonging to Jesus Christ. And so we need to ask a question, what is love? And to, 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 to understand what love is, we have to look at the triune God whose love is perfect. The Bible, above every other book, shows me the nature of God. That's where I learn about God. And there are some helps out there to this book called The Attributes of God by a guy named Arthur Pink. And you have, to, you have to concentrate when you read this book. This book has opened me up to who God is more than any book but the Bible itself. Tell you what I mean. I have heard pastors preach. The Father saw something so valuable in you and the Father saw something so worthwhile in you that he sent his son into the world to die for you. And the Son, Jesus Christ saw something so valuable in you that he came to this earth and died for you. And I got to admit, I used to preach that nonsense. I, 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 I honestly fell into that trap and I preached that utter nonsense, which is nothing but, but, but a hot air with a halo around it. And that kind of thinking just diminishes the love of God. I mean, it diminishes the love of God so much. And you read Arthur Pink in this book, The Attributes of God, and he says, what was there in me to attract the heart of God? What made me so attractive to God that he should send his son? Absolutely nothing. But to the contrary, there was everything in me to repel him Everything calculated to make him loathe me, sinful, depraved, massive corruption with no good thing in me. Now that's, that's the truth. You know, I'm preaching all this nonsense that we were so lovable and so valuable to God. I mean, that's, that just so diminishes the love of God, man, I'll tell you. I mean, my sin is so gross and so heinous to a holy God. And you got to think like this, man. Yet he sent his son, and the Son of God came to die in my place to pay for my sins, to make me acceptable to the Father, to make you acceptable to the Father. You and me who lie, who envy people, who worry, who ignore them, who brush them off with a few pious words and call it prayer. For you, for me, he sent his son to die in our place. And when you look at it like that, that magnifies the love of God. That really magnifies it because there was nothing worthwhile in us. There was nothing valuable in us. There was nothing that should make the Father love us, and yet he did anyway. That's why 1 John 4.10 gives you the real definition of love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son. I didn't love God, man. Who am I? I'm a massive corruption. Like Arthur Pink says, I'm a massive corruption. I'm an enemy of God, and my sin is pure rebellion against a holy God. And he sends his son to die for me. It's got to blow you away, man, I'll tell you. And here's, here's the bottom line. You love whether you're loved in return or not. You love people who are very unlovable. I mean, Jesus Christ hung on that cross and he scowled, man. He looked down and he said, curse you sinners. One day we'll meet in judgment and your soul will burn in hell. 
He didn't say that, did he? He didn't scowl and say that. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's talking about the Jews who set him up and put him on that cross. He's talking about, he's talking about the Romans who nailed him to the cross. That kind of love begins in the home, begins in the family. Do you see why devil attacks family? Do you see why God made the family the, 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 the number one institution of all institutions? I mean, folks, your family is going to take you to the limit. I mean, there's not enough time to mention, to mention the stuff some kids are into that stretch moms and dads as far as they can go. And you love them, and you husbands and wives hurt each other all the time. And you keep loving them because Jesus said in John 13, that's the mark. That's what defines you as a Christian. And this is tough, but you pray and sometimes you even sweat blood. Help me to love those people who take me to the limits. Because God says through Paul, again, God's word, not mine, 1 Corinthians 13, 7, true love bears all things, hopes all things, believes all things, endures all things, and we're okay with hopes, believes, and bears, but we don't like that thing that says endures all things. Again, God said that, not me. And here's the thing about love, too. Of course, you have to address issues in the home. And when people you love ignore you or they're indifferent to you, and hey, here's something, too, that you need to know. The opposite of love is not hate. The opposite of love is indifference. You know, when people are indifferent to you and they ignore you, you've got to deal with those issues. I mean, God doesn't expect you and me to just keep on giving, 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 and, 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 and without addressing it and saying, hey, listen, something's out of whack here. Something's out of balance, and we need to work on this. I mean, Jesus addressed what he saw in his brothers. I mean, they were jealous. They said, go to Jerusalem, do some miracles, hot shot. And he said, they're going to hate me for living and speaking the truth, but you guys fit right in with the world. You go to Jerusalem. The world will hate me, but it loves you because you, you, you just fit right in. Well, what I like about that is, man, he didn't sweep this family issue under the rug. He, he, he dealt with it. But I'll tell you what, he loved those guys. He was committed to those guys no matter what. And people will take you to your limit. You love them despite themselves. And you learn that in family. And just a couple more. It's in the family that we learn to live out our purpose in life. Now think, what is your purpose in life? I'm going to give you a big doctrinal word. Our purpose in life is sanctification. And the word sanctification means to become more and more and more like Jesus Christ. To become, or, or to sin less. And we should all sin less. 1 Thessalonians 5.23, Paul's prayer for his church. May God himself sanctify you through and through. See? Now, if you have accepted Jesus Christ, I'm not saying that everyone here has. But if you have accepted Jesus Christ, that means you're justified. There's another doctrinal word. It means you're saved for heaven. And at the moment you were justified, at the moment you accepted Christ as your Savior, God the Father, get this now, put the Holy Spirit inside you. Justification and sanctification happened at the same time. He put the Holy Spirit inside you, and for the rest of your life, and this is sanctification. For the rest of your life, the Holy Spirit will seek to make you like Jesus Christ. And Paul understood this because he wrote in Philippians. This is chapter 3, verse 13. Paul says this, Brothers, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. What? Sanctification. Christ-likeness. But one thing I do, here's his life's purpose, see? Forgetting what is behind and straining for what's ahead. 
I press on toward that goal of Christ-likeness. So Paul's saying, I'm not there yet. I'm not like Christ yet. But I strive for that. And man, I keep pressing on. I keep my mind and body under subjection. I battle my flesh and the sins in me. I fall, I fail, I mess up. But then he says, I forget the past and I keep pushing forward, pressing forward to be like Christ. And that never stops in the life of a believer who has the Holy Spirit in him or her. And all believers do. Listen, I, I've dealt with lots of people who came out of the big sins like prostitution and drugs and pornography and more. And once the Spirit takes hold of people's lives, He takes hold of their heart. He gives them the power, the inner strength to fight those big sins and walk out of those big gross sins. And then, and here's what you got to know, He starts working on the smaller stuff. I mean, he's going he's gonna to get down to the smallest detail of your life to make you like Jesus Christ. You know, your thoughts, your language, the little slips of the tongue. That's what the Spirit of God does. He takes you down the nitty-gritty of your life to weed out sin and make you as holy and as much like Christ as you can become in one lifetime. We will never be completely holy till we're in heaven. But, you know, that... Folks, I've got to tell you, this is a family message it, it, that begins in the family. Here's what 1 Corinthians 13, 5 says. True love does not insist on its own way. It's in the family you learn, I want to do this, but he or she wants to do that. I want to do this, but he or she wants to do that. And so you learn to kind of stifle yourself and do that that they want to do instead of this. And you know, if, if you speak up and say this, it's going to create tension, and it's going to hurt people's feelings, and so you know, you know that's against the will of God. See, that's sanctification, and so, and so what you do is you stifle it. You bury it in your gut, and you don't say it. And that's growing in sanctification. Don't you see what I'm saying? I mean, you're learning to deny yourself. You're learning self-control. You're learning life isn't all about you. You're developing a servant's mind and heart, and that happens in your family, and you're becoming more and more like the Lord himself, and that's your purpose in life. Family is so important to God, and it should be important to us, and, and, and everything you want to give it. One more. Moms and dads especially, and I realize some of you um, don't have children, but all of you are children, and all of you have influence, because it's in the family and through the family that you leave your greatest legacy or imprint on the world. Let me tell you this again. This is so important. It is in and through your family that you leave your greatest imprint on the world. Now, I've never watched Oprah in my life, but I know that her personal guru is a man named Deepak Chopra. And he teaches, and this is an outmoded term, but he teaches what we used to call New Age. And he is a pantheist, which means God's in everything. He teaches there's a power within you to be all you can be. Just look inside yourself. The meaning of life is in you. And then you just read Ephesians chapter 2. And the Bible says you were dead, man. You were dead in trespasses and sins. And we would be lost forever had God not given us Jesus Christ. And so, so I asked myself, how can the meaning of life be in dead, lost, condemned sinners without Christ? See, I mean, the meaning of life. Mean, I mean, is there power in a lost, dead person who has no power in him without the Holy Spirit, without Christ. Anyway, that's what Deepak Chopra preaches and teaches. And Deepak Chopra is coming to the palace. And I promise you, it will be sold out. 
because people are looking for the meaning of life. And they learn about the meaning of life in your home, in your family. That's where you mold the hearts of your children by the word of God. That's the legacy you leave, man. I mean, then they have security that no matter what happens, God's going to honor me and give me eternal life. He's going to honor his promise. And with that, I, my life has, has, has real meaning and real purpose, man. That's, that's a legacy. See, Christ will live his life through them. He will be, they, they will become preachers of righteousness and they will reflect the character of God, the character you pass on. Those kids are, are individuals, but they bear your mark. And the greatest legacy you will ever leave is his children who love the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the principle of light and darkness. The Bible teaches light overcomes darkness and you're sending them out as lights. And the greatest legacy you're going to leave in the world is those kids whose light is going to overcome the darkness. And folks, I've said this so many times, all the churches God's enabled me to, to work with, to build by God's grace, the most important thing I've ever done with my life, the greatest legacy I'm ever going to leave, is my kids and my grandkids. There's no greater legacy in my life. That is the highest calling you have, and that is the honor of honors. I'm not kidding you. Think About It is sponsored by Real Life Christian Church. Real Life Christian Church meets in Endeavor Middle School. 22505 26 Mile Road, just west of North Avenue in Ray, Michigan. Sunday service starts at 10 a.m. Visit us on the web at rlcc.us. Never miss a single message from Pastor Rasper. Just go to faithtalk1500.com and download the Real Life Podcast. And until next week, may God's Word do a work in you. Real Life Christian Church. Get real.